Alright friends, how's it going? Zig coming in at the top of the interview. Today on the show, we have Danielle DePicciato. Danielle is um, an artist in every regard. She has multiple mediums, be it writing, um, visual arts, and music, which is mostly what we talk about today. She was a big um, influence on the early um, techno scene in Berlin, and her stories of the early Berlin techno scene are very inspiring and hit home with a lot of like punk ideas. And this idea of making your own music and taking taking the harsh environments and making them beautiful. Danielle has a new album out called The Element of Love. It's available on Bandcamp and soon will be available on most platforms. We're going to listen to the track Beautiful Creatures off The Element of Love. I believe we are superheroes in writhing Riddled by arrows bound to a lie, blind to the abyss, our wings torn with halos of doom, dressed in black, shrouded in gloom, we are superheroes with x-ray vision that confine themselves to the collision of mundane experience with petty power and everyday yellow press trash towers, preferring the security of a regular job than saving the world from a lynch mob. all evil with a toss of our heads, shapeshift to wizards, take dragons to bend, it's all at the tip of our tongue, not the sword, but we ignore our capacities of the unexplored, kryptonite rays ablaze in our hearts, and instead trail the dull shine of phone and computer parts, listening to the complex lies of apes that revise truth as an advertised Bluetooth phone booth. We are superheroes in turmoil, thrashing and crying and trapped in the mortal coil. Beautiful creatures off Element of Love. This podcast is mixed by Studio 44. For any audio, visual, or streaming needs, go to studio44cleveland at gmail.com or studio44cleveland at Facebook and talk to Jay Sparrow. He will get your albums the sound sick. Also, if you can like, subscribe, rate, review the podcast and all the podcast platforms, it helps me keep talking to super inspiring people like Danielle and share those conversations with you. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Danielle. Gotcha. it sounds like it's kind of the flux of a thing, right? Yeah. So where are you at now? I'm in Berlin, Germany at the moment. Back in Berlin? Okay, because yep. uh, you've been on the nomadic lifestyle for a while. Yeah, well, since 2010. Right. And we were actually supposed to be touring last year when the pandemic started here. We were booked like for the whole year. So when all of that was canceled, um, it was all rebooked for this year, and it's just been rebooked for next year. Oh, so man. I'm, I'm a, kind of stuck in Berlin at the moment, which is okay. 
So has that kind of ended the nerve, uh, nomadic lifestyle in a way and kind of recentered for a bit because there's nowhere to go? Or um, is it still kind of the same lifestyle now just in one general area? Well, no, it's actually quite, it's interesting because it's the first time in years that I've been in one place for such a long time. And I'm, I kind of enjoyed it because I realized how exhausted I was. I mean, you know, constant traveling, um, like jet lag, especially the last years we were like touring in New Zealand and Australia and the States and Europe. And I was just tired all the time. So it was actually kind of relaxing to be stuck in one place. And um, we have a stu- where I have a studio here um, that I got, so I could just putter around, and you know, I recorded my album, I wrote a graphic novel, and it was nice being able to just take time. Right. I was wondering, like living that way, how how one records or how one is productive in a in a, like like I saw your graphic novel and the pages are, there's a, an immense amount of detail put in each one. And it's a really cool way to tell your story. Um, but that takes time and effort and to be in one spot to do that. <laughs> like how, yeah. how does she do this at, on the road? <laughs> like it's hard <laughs> enough to like, I mean, some bands, you know, write tunes and rehearse during uh, sound checks and stuff, but to do something with that much detail and that much focus when you're constantly moving had to be a, had to be a feat. Um, so has, yeah. sorry. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty exhausting. Um, I mean, when we started, um, when we you know became nomads, I kind of before that I would do um, things that were a little larger. Like if I was drawing or painting, I'd do pretty large things. And I also worked did objects and stuff, you know. And so obviously, when when the decision was made that we were going to become nomads. Um, I kind of decided, okay, well, I'm going to just have to like, you know, reduce my sizes and I just, you know, draw, do small drawings and, and recording. Well, you know, I've recorded basically everywhere in hotel rooms, um, on the beach, <laughs> at friends' places, in the train, um, anywhere I can. I mean, with, you know, nowadays with, um, with live or whatever program you work with, you can, you can basically do it anywhere. So, um, I guess it also adds the atmosphere that I have on my albums that I recorded them in so many different places. Because your music does have this vast space, which is it's musically like space and music in an art is such a big deal, and it's hard to it's hard to fake that. It's hard to manufacture space in a pure way. True. True. That's interesting that you say that. Yeah, that's true because it's interesting that you say that because I, I it's something that's really important to me too. Um, and I work a lot on that to be able to really have that in my music. Well, it definitely comes through. And like, I think uh, part of like, like the Berlin te- early techno scene was kind of like space was kind of a big deal. So to kind of jump into your history, you uh, when did you move to Berlin? In 87. 87. And you were living in New York before, right? Yeah. Okay. And I'm tr- so musically in New York, what was going on? Was it like the no-wave scene? Yeah. You know, Lydia Lange, Jim Thurwell, Fetus. Um, those contortions. Yeah. yeah. Now, were you seeing live music that time or were you playing in New York? 
Um, I wasn't playing, no. No, no. no. I, okay. was, I was basically, I was um, studying back then. I was at FIT. That's kind of where I learned, illust- and I was at Parsons, and um, that's where I learned illustration. And um, I was going to see a lot of shows and stuff. I mean, I went to Say the Robots, and I saw Andy Warhol, stuff like Whoa. that. You know, Sick. I wasn't actually, yeah, crazy. That's so cool. I know. Only only very shortly, though. But, <laughs> but still. It was, it was amazing. Um, but I was, I wasn't really, I was, I mean, I've always played my instruments. I started playing piano and violin very early on. But I never really actually, I mean, I, I sang a lot, but only for myself. I never really knew if I was going to play music, if that was going to be like my career. And it happened more by chance when I came to Berlin that, this band asked me, um, it was kind of like a hip hop crossover band called um, Space Cowboys, if I wanted to sing for them. And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? That's kind of how it happened. But it, I didn't really plan it. Because wasn't it they, they thought you put out a record or something? They like, you right. know, they confused you with a different Danielle? <laughs> exactly. They uh, they confused me with um, another girl that I recorded with my ba- back then boyfriend. Oh, okay. And I was like, wow, I wonder why they're asking me, but sure, why not? <laughs> well, so what what led from New York to Berlin? Like, how did you get there? Like, that's that's a big jump. That's not... Like, uh, did a friend who was traveling invite you, or was it um, an opportunity that arise to, like, study abroad? I, um... I was invited to work for an advertising agency in Germany after I finished studying. They had somehow contacted me through somebody else that knew me. And I don't even know how I got that offer. And I was like, mm, that's interesting. And so I went there. Um, that was in Cologne. And because um, I couldn't speak German because my mother's German. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I was, I was raised, you know, um, with two languages. So I went there. But I didn't really enjoy working for an advertising agency. And um, after about three-fourths of a year, I decided to, like, go back to New York um, because I had a couple of job offers there. And then I thought, okay, before I go back to New York, I'm going to visit Berlin because I had a friend that lived there just to see Berlin, and then I'll go back. And so then when I arrived in Berlin, I was just, like, blown away by, by the whole atmosphere and... It was just crazy. I mean, it was it was such a creative place, and it was so cheap, and it wasn't dangerous. And you know, New York in the '80s was super dangerous, and it was super expensive, and it was kind of like heaven. So I was like, offered a room, and I just said, okay, I'll take it. And I just stayed. Oh, that's a, yeah. How like in, I guess the besides the danger being the difference, um, what was like the scene like as far as create creatively compared to New York? Was it very similar or was it like more expansive? It was pretty similar, actually. Yeah. I mean, there was a pretty, yeah, there was a pretty strong connection between New York and Berlin back then. Like the, you know, the experimental musicians that were playing here, like, you know, Nick Cave or Einschutz and the Neubauten, they knew all the music, like all the musicians, um, swans and stuff like that. You know, they knew each other. So, because, and there was a similar atmosphere because, you know, New York was so dangerous and so run down and kind of like this dystopian place. And Berlin was surrounded by a wall and was super, super poor. I mean, it was extremely poor. And we were still like, you know, it was still surrounded 
by the World War II rubble, basically. So it, it had a very similar atmosphere. It was kind of like both those places, you had the feeling you were in like a black and white movie. <laughs> Interesting. It's, it's, it's weird that, or not weird, it's very serendipical that it's like uh, out of this destruction of some sort, out of this danger and this uh, danger of, a, I guess, a past danger, there's this beauty and this new life being born out of the rubble from it. Exactly. That's what I loved about it. Wow. That's why I stayed because I was like, it was like a time capsule. Like Berlin was like a time capsule because it was surrounded by this wall and nothing could really be renovated because it, it was kind of like in the middle of East Germany. So, And so everything was kind of slow and dreamy. And then there were all these really experimental musicians and artists <laughs> there in the, in the the contradiction of that was just so fascinating. I was like, wow, this is amazing. There's something, the, the yin and yang of the destruction and creation is so beautiful. Yeah. Um, now, when you started playing with uh, Space Cowboys, like, that was just, you got this random offer and were cool with it? Like, that sounds yeah. like, a, that's like coming out of the shell of like, if you if you weren't doing music and were doing like illustration and working for like a with advertisement companies, was it kind of like were you doing designs and stuff? Were you like yeah, a, yeah? layouts? Well, they and... had they, well, not really. They had like these. It was weird back then. They had this like short phase of this thing called um, living robots, and so they had people like models that were supposed to act as if they were robots, okay. and they asked me to like design. Um, their surroundings and their costumes and like the whole atmosphere. So it was, it was kind of surreal. Um, I had to like make these really odd objects for them and stuff like that. So in a way it was kind of fun, but um, they hardly paid me and it was so much work and I don't like advertising. So Right. It's um, very, uh, yeah. well, we need to get more people in. How can we reach the older people? Can you make an older looking robot suit? <laughs> like, <laughs> what? <laughs> But that kind of, that kind of, from what I understand of the early uh, Berlin like techno scene, like there was all these clubs. Like I read something about this club. I, I could get the name wrong, but it was called UFO, and it's uh -huh. kind of where. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. So it was where, uh, like, uh, some early acid jazz got or acid jazz, <laughs> acid techno got started. And it like, was acid jazz. Yeah, oh, yeah acid, acid jazz. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and um, like, and it's that club was just like a basement for the first like uh, uh birth of it the first re rendition of it was just a basement that would redefine itself like every weekend it seemed like it or every like whenever a big show would be they would have like a whole different setup from what i understand and if you're going into it with that skill set it'll make sense it made sense or makes sense why that 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 seemed to, to resonate with you well i mean like i said i'd always done music i learned I started doing music really, really early, um, and I was always interested in music, and I always loved writing, um, you know, all kinds of stuff. So I was really, really interested in especially the music scene in Berlin and also the art scene, you know, design and, and, and all that. It just kind of disappeared pretty quickly because it wasn't really my thing. Um, so I'm, I'm, I, my, my life has kind of always been in a way that, um, I discovered things by chance. I kind of made little detours until I suddenly was on the right road again. And so with Berlin, just 
that was the right place for me at the right time. And I kind of met, because, you know, it was run by a wall. So you met DJs and you just met everybody within a week. So like within a week or two, I basically knew everybody there. And because it was such a um, destroyed and kind of underground city, main, a lot of the clubs and a lot of the bars were in, in basements and in like illegal places and stuff like that. And I had started working in cafes and bars pretty early on. So um, in that way, luckily I was able to experience these early techno clubs, which basically started out with me and a couple of friends doing illegal parties <laughs> with acid jazz, my then boyfriend, because um, it was a completely new music and um, nobody else really knew about it because it was from England and from Detroit. And my boyfriend back then was a DJ, so he started getting a couple of early records, and they was like, hey, come on, let's do parties with this music. And we were like, cool, this is really great. This is deconstructed music. And um, that's how it started. And the UFO was basically a whole, this, like, tiny little basement. You had to open this, like, um, trap door in the floor and then climb down this kind of chicken ladder, like this really wooden thing. <laughs> and there no, it's like there was no um, other way to get in and out. So actually, it was like really dangerous. But of course, nobody cared. And we went, we had like, it was big enough to hold about, I guess, 100 people really, really tightly packed. And it was incredibly dirty. We only had like a little board for the bar, like a piece of wood and, and stuff like that. And the DJ, I think he was like in this weird kind of closet thing that didn't have a door because it was so tight. And um, it was just crazy because, you know, it was it was so intense. Like the first people that discovered that music in Berlin, they were so enthusiastic that people would just go down that hole and dance for, uh, I don't know, two days. <laughs> <laughs> well, time, time, if you're in this basement and you can't see the, the outside world, time had to be like this weird, relevant thing, <laughs> like in... There, with like with trancey or techno music like it kind of it kind of relates in a way to um space like we were talking about but instead of like um openness it it can like fills it with like eighth notes and 16th notes and it kind of becomes like its own like one note space in a way exactly so i can it's trance music is really uh it can see how it really locks people in where they're really into the moment um, yeah wow that's crazy. That's so punk rock. That's like all the house shows <laughs> where the scenes start is always in the basement. It's so <laughs> it's it's so weird how like um, big movements of music and style and, and, and creativity and art come from the underground, come from like the dingiest and uh, dustiest, I guess, if it's in a basement. I'm sure there's a fair amount of dust. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, places and like because. Yeah. With uh, with your your boyfriend at the time, right? You guys did the love parade, which was a fairly big deal of spreading that music around. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that basically came from like we had a couple of reasons for doing that. One was exactly because we were tired of those dirty basements. Fair enough. <laughs> like, let's do this somewhere where we're not like covered in in cobwebs when we go home and completely, you know dirty with dust and all that that was one of the reasons and the other reason was also that we'd always been um fascinated by 
you know, those uh, Rio de Janeiro parades where they dress up and they wear those great costumes and they're dancing to their music. And we always wanted to go there, but we never had the money. And then one day my boyfriend said, you know what, why don't we just do it here with our music and our costumes and our dresses or whatever, because I was doing a lot of club wear back then too. And I was like, that's a great idea. And so then um, we started thinking about how to do it because, I mean, nowadays it's pretty normal to have people doing stuff like that. But back then it was like really unheard of. I mean, to to organize a, par- a parade in, in Berlin. I mean, Berlin didn't really, ha- had a terrible history of parades. <laughs> and it yeah. was a kind of subject. <laughs> So, so, so the, uh, the new one's kind of a, oh, snap, is a, is a having to pull up. Did you guys yeah. just kind of do it? Did you have to get permits or anything or was it just? Yeah, we had to get permits. Okay. And then we, cause we were kind of like, you know, we were living in a city that was surrounded by a wall and um, living in a city like that where, you know, you I, we were living in an apartment right on the edge of the wall. So when we would look out of our kitchen window on the third floor, we would look over the wall into East. Berlin Whoa. and there was kindergarten and I could always hear the kid the children like you know laughing and playing and stuff and it was so creepy because you knew that they were over there in a completely different system and they would never be able to come to where we are so um, when we were thinking about it we were kind of saying you know this new music is so great and the great thing about music is that it just flies over everywhere you know right. it flies over any wall and so then we came we said you know, we should really actually do this as a demonstration, demonstration, not against something, but for something, for music and for freedom and for all those kind of things. And that's how we came to the idea of doing the parade. And um, so the first time we did it, you know, Berlin back then was super like, you know, everybody wore black suits and was like, you know, like Nick Cave, very black dyed hair, very serious and stuff. And and we, so um, we put on these really like streetwear, colorful clothes, and we started dancing in the street. And they were like, that is so uncool. <laughs> <laughs> but then they kind of got, you know, then they kind of noticed how much fun we were having. And at one point they, they were like, hey, can't you do it again? And the next year we <laughs> want to be part of it. <laughs> That's a, even the guys dressed up in black, looking down, want to have fun. <laughs> like- right. <laughs> but it takes someone to, to go out there and do it and and just to show that it's possible. It's yeah. A, did a like the clubware stuff did that kind of um uh, as far as designing that the the, the skill set of making robotware come in handy there? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's awesome. And then it grew, right? Exponentially this love parade. Yeah, then it um the next year it was really special because that was, you know, um um, the wall fell. So the next parade Whoa. that we did, um, it was basically East German and West German people dancing together for the first time on this parade. And that kind of, I think, um, it was a pretty incredible moment because right. you know, people were like so happy to be out of that situation. And they just, for them, techno was, you know, the sound of their generation because it was music that had a DJ, but didn't have like rock stars on the stage. There were no hierarchies. It was just like music for everybody. And so that generated such an incredible, I don't know, it just some magic spark. 
And, and, and so then they said, you know, we have to do this again. And then so every year it became more until like, you know, five years later, it was 1.5 million people dancing to the music. And that was pretty incredible because, you know, it was, we were dancing down those big streets that Hitler had been walking down 50 years before. So it was kind of like a purging through music. It was interesting, you know? That's beautiful. That's so, like, so surreal to, like, within the second year of doing this thing, you guys kind of just did for fun, in a way, to, like, be celebrating this this beauty and this love and bringing these people to, like, the, the noise, the muffled noise that was the neighbors on the other side of the wall, you're now welcome in that party. You know what I mean? Not that they weren't, but there was just the physical barrier. And the... yeah to be immersing in it and just be in this that's that's so sur- even just thinking about that i'm getting like goosebumps that's so surreal and cool that music can bring people together that way and like how yeah. oh, that's and like the be be part of the 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 reason that that this big parade <laughs> plowed through these streets has to be like I, that has to still be a giddy thing to think about yeah it was um it was really amazing. And the, the really great thing about it was that, you know, we didn't have any money. We didn't do it because we were being sponsored or right. because we had lots of money. We did, I mean, we had no money at all. You know, we just rented that a little truck and we put a, a PA on it. And um, somehow, um, I don't know, being able to generate something that big with so little money and also watching the wall fall, which, you know, nobody ever thought that would happen. Um, somehow made me believe in miracles. <laughs> right. Well, how, after you know, anything can happen. <laughs> yeah. After seeing that, how can you not think that if we, that's like the most positive vibe. Like, if we can tear down the wall of physically that's dividing us. How can we not tear down the walls mentally with what we're making exactly. here? That's yes. That's so uplifting. And if that doesn't inspire you to create for the rest of your life, I don't know what would. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I still, I still really, you know, it still nourishes my soul having experienced that. That's why I wrote the graphic novel too, because I thought that time was something so special that I really have to kind of go into detail and, and, um, and just speak about it more. I'm translating it into English at the moment and I hope that it'll be coming out in the U S end of the year, maybe next year where I really go into detail speaking about how all of that happened and what the eighties music scene was like and the culture and the art. And then how through the fall of the wall, the whole techno thing started and, and all those things. Cause it was a really special time. Right. Well, it's, it's just like any of those like births of punk movements or no, uh, no wave or like any musical movement that the origin of it is so desired that like, to, it's like diving into the source and like so any like firsthand information that most people are like after and have a graphic novel version of it is so like it seems such like something you would do with your with your style and so cool so I can't wait for it to be in English <laughs> so I can read it does uh, that language barrier um, run have you does that run in uh, like complicate things a lot as far as like touring like in like uh, New Zealand and Australia and in America um do you run into that like uh, difficulty, or is no. it okay? Because you speak both German and English, like uh, yeah. But I mean, I guess like with press and stuff, and like putting CDs out, and like 
I guess it's like double the manufacturing, I guess. Um, well, I mean, um, if I write books, yeah, then I have to do it in German and in English. Or like I wrote another book I wrote in English first, and it still hasn't been translated in German. So with books, but with music, I mean, usually my lyrics are in English, so everybody understands English, or almost everybody does, so I don't have to translate that. That's that's a cool cool place to be in because with like certain words in English and certain words in German, I think there's language wise there's like a, a one way to say it in in German and one way to say it in English and like when you're translating it, it's you know sometimes there isn't a direct translation for that one word. Yeah, I just I find that fascinating. I find language fascinating and how like one phrase can mean something and then like there's not a way to say it, so you have to describe it in the other language. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I find that very difficult maybe because I, um, I don't know what, what it is. I've heard that from quite a few people that like grew up, um, learning or speaking two languages that they find translating really difficult. Hmm. Um, I don't know why that is, but, um, I work a lot on that. It takes forever. Like to do that. It's, it's, yeah. A lot of work. Well, yeah, because it's just this, but you don't yeah. know what that is. So now I got to be like, well, you know what? Uh, I don't know. Uh, Dr. Pepper tastes yeah. like there's 32 different things to describe it. <laughs> like Exactly. <laughs> um, now, growing up, like your mother spoke uh, German. Did your father? No. Okay. No. And your father was uh, in the military? Yeah. So were you moving around a lot? All the time. All the time? Um, yeah. I mean, I was born in Tacoma, and I think we left after a month or something, and then we were in Denver, then we were in Chicago, and then we were in Washington, D.C., and in between he was stationed in Korea and then in Germany. Wow. And then, you know, it was just like yeah. nonstop. So, I think we moved 13 times by the time I was 12. Like when you're that young, you're taking so much in and like to have your environment constantly moving. So that must have made the, the nomadic life decision fairly easy because that was kind of yeah. like home in a way. In a way, yeah. I mean, Berlin kind of was the, the – when I moved to Berlin, it was the first time that I actually stayed somewhere for that long. I stayed – when I moved, I moved there in 87 and I stayed there until 2010. I'd never been anywhere that long. And that was interesting. But I mean, for me, traveling is a pretty natural state. Like I can, I can, um, I don't know, like I feel at home almost everywhere. I'm, I'm really easy in that way. So I guess that's, but I didn't enjoy traveling that much when I was a child. Like I had to change schools all the time. Right. And you know, with my last name, it's like, uh. oh, yeah, I imagine <laughs> Uh, teachers being like, uh, D, uh, Danielle. Right. <laughs> and just like when you're, when you're younger, you're trying to grasp how the world works. And like, um, when you're like always constantly on the move, it's kind of your world. And you know what I mean? Like, like going to school is kind of like the learning, the extension of like the social interactions and, uh, you know, jumping to all these different places. It's always different. Like, oh, we, yeah. don't, we don't have recess here. We have 15-minute breaks or whatever. You know what I mean? Just, like, little things like that kind of set up how you interact later on or how you, like, na um, manage your time or your work ethic. And um, it's something I, I don't think anyone, like, you don't, like, consciously, consciously think of when you're going through a school like that. 
but it kind of does roll off later. Um, and yeah. So was it to be in one place? Was that difficult? Like when you initially decided to stay in Berlin or was Berlin just so exciting that it felt like you're moving around all these places because there's just so much going on? It was so exciting. It was just insane. I mean, it really was. It was like nonstop. Um, part, because, you know, also in Berlin, um, there's not like, um, like there's no time where clo clubs close. So you can stay out for a week and pretty for a week and it's normal. So there was like nonstop parties, nonstop shows, nonstop events, people working. Everybody had five bands. Everybody was like, doing music, doing art, writing, doing, making their own clothes. Like everybody was like a multi, I don't know, interdisciplinary artist. And it was just like nonstop. I mean, it was so excessive. It was just insane. And so I think that like, you know, um, almost for the first, I don't know, until 95, I had the feeling that it was like a nonstop party. I mean, when the wall came down, we started discovering, you know, East, East Berlin and there were all these places that were empty and we could just go inside and open up clubs and open up galleries and do parties and nobody knew who was the owner of the building. So you uh -huh. could, it was like total anarchy. Right. But in this so, cool, positive way, it sounds. Yeah, it was super positive. That's something that I've often thought about because, you know, there weren't, nobody could really enforce anything because nobody knew who the owners were. Nobody knew, like, it was all being figured out. They were, like, you know, trying to figure out how to put everything together again. And and nobody really used that to, to you know, to destroy or to be negative. Everybody was kind of, like, super positive and, and just making things pretty. Like, you know, let's look, there's an old factory here. Let's go inside and decorate it and do some kind of party or a show or whatever. It was, it was super positive. It was pretty amazing. That like with that space, cause you would think people would be trying to assert like, this is my spot. This is what I do. I now have a thing, but to have it exactly. be so like accepting is uh, I'm having trouble fathoming it. Like, because uh, yeah. maybe it, maybe I'm being a little bit pessimistic, thinking like, oh, it just it would go south quick. But that's, <laughs> I guess it just speaks on volumes with how things were, and then just to have stuff open up. Was it when the when the wall did come down? Was there like, was there like a with the, these different like um, facts of like or, or uh, um, sections of uh, like I imagine there was some techno on the other side of the wall. And some other like creative, like, was there like a melding of these ideas in a way that struck out as like, oh, you're from the East, you're from the West. This is cool. Like, could you tell in a way if uh, someone was like, aside from like, maybe them just being, I guess, creatively, was there a difference? Um, that's an interesting question. I could go over to East Berlin because I was American. Okay. It was much easier for me to be able to go there than, for instance, um, a real Berliner like my ex-boyfriend or even my husband now, they're both real Berliners, right. born in Berlin. And for them, it was really, really difficult to be able to go to East Berlin. But for me, it was super easy. I would just go through Checkpoint Charlie. And um, I met this other American girl who knew a couple of people there pretty early on, like I think in the third week that I was in Berlin. And, and she had a little um, motorcycle. And so she would always take me over. And I got to know all kinds of musicians and, and artists. 
And I was really surprised at how similar in a way things were, you know, like they they were very experimental and they were kind of taste-wise similar to what we were doing and similar to what things were happening in New York too, except that for them it was really dangerous because, you know, it wasn't allowed and they would have like for the fashion that underground fashion designers were doing or music with like, you know, lyrics that were against the system they could go to jail really, really easily. So they had that extra thing of actually doing something which was dangerous. But in general, you had the feeling that there, you know, there's, it was a certain era and um, certain ideas or certain tastes or something. They yeah. were kind of all the underground, which is really interesting. So I guess the music goes over the wall. like Exactly. <laughs> that's so, that's fascinating. Um. When did you meet uh, Gudrun Gut? Um, I met her in pretty early on too. I think it was in um, 89, somewhere around there. She was, um, her boyfriend was a producer and um, he was producing my boyfriend. Okay. All right. So I went to visit my boyfriend being produced by her boyfriend one day and she was there and we just immediately got along. And so then we started doing stuff together. And like, uh, she did the, the oceans club, right? Exactly. We kind okay. of did that together. We started that together. Yeah. And that, that, that's also a really interesting, like, uh, collective in a way, like they kind of go back to like, it's not like this a stifling of people trying to assert who they are. It's like the, the oceans club from what I understand was like, a, a collective and it rotated who was in it and like um and eventually got a radio show i think which makes yeah. when it makes sense with it but um you designed like i guess clubwear for for her as well um no no no, no. by then okay. i i had kind of stopped um i mean we really started because i stopped playing with space cowboys in 95 and i started recording music with her around 96 and that's when the first ocean club album was also done and um we kind of started that together um and what her idea was that she wanted to do something i mean she likes groups like that she likes working with different people like at the moment she also has a a project called monika werkstatt which is very similar so that she just works with different people and then combines it to a compilation or everybody does improv together electronic improv and um and so then we were kind of saying, okay, well, how are we going to present this? And then um, I knew this, I knew the owner of the Trezor, which was a huge club back then. And he, I asked him if he could give us a room. And so he gave us a room and I did all the decoration for the room. And like I built furniture, like underwater furniture and stuff like ah, that. Cool. And that, <laughs> then we called it the Ocean Club. And, and the Ocean Club basically was the name of the album and then became a radio station too. Gotcha. Okay. So that's so interesting. It's so interesting how you just jumped into this music thing, like, and just immersed yourself in it. So with um, Space Cowboys, you were the you were a singer, and there was you were kind of backing up like the the rest of the band in a way. So was the move to working with Ocean's Club um, was that like a um, a big shift because you now you're putting yourself up front. 
Yeah, well, I mean, it was up front um, with Space Cowboys, too. We were two singers. It was a guy and me. Okay. And so we were like, I was rapping a lot. That was like Whoa. they like rock, yeah, hip hop, yeah. crossover. So, um, and I've always, like I said, I, I've always liked writing. I used to, like when I was really young, I wrote tons of poetry. And then when I, um, when they asked me to be part of their band, I was like, wow, um, rap is interesting because it has this kind of like, you know, lyrics are kind of like poems too. So that really was up my alley. Um, but um, when Gutrun asked me, Trip Hop had just come up. I had um, just heard um, Portishead for the first time. Okay. And I was like, wow, I like this even better because it has that kind of like surreal, dreamy style. And it's also kind of lyrics are really important for it. And so um, working together with her, because she was back then already electronic, I was like, wow, I really like doing this um, electronic work with this kind of lyrical thing. So it was kind of like a transition from from going from hip hop to trip hop and then electronic music. Mm. And uh, yeah. So that makes sense because that space is starting to become more clear exactly. or more, more vast in that next step. Exactly. Yeah. Was there any uh, New York uh, hip hop influence that made that uh, um, jump into just doing hip hop easy? Or, um, or... Well, it was like garage music. I loved it. When I was in New York, there was a lot of that going on. And I mean, that doesn't have, that doesn't have like lyrics or rap or anything, but I like that kind of like bassy kind of rhythmic music. And so I like that with um, with hip hop too, but um, I really like dreamy stuff or kind of also um, melodies and stuff. So at one point it was just a little too, um, I don't know, I don't know how to put it. It wasn't surreal enough for me. <laughs> sure. Well, it makes that space is clearly heard in everything, everything that you've done prior. Yeah. So it, it makes sense that you found the space you wanted to be in and immersed it, or immersed yeah. yourself in it. Um, die, uh, die hot, D I E H A U T. Die haut. Die haut. So when did uh, when did you start working with them? Or because that that had like Nick Cave right and Kid Congo Powers. Yeah. What when did um, that come about? Well, Die haut was basically an instrumental band that would invite. Um, singers to participate and sing for them and um, they were like they were all of them had other bands too so the guitar player later on became the guitar player from for Einstürzende Neubauten and um, you know like like I mentioned Berlin was everybody kind of knew each other in Berlin and so um, to be honest, back then I was doing stuff with all kinds of people on the side besides um, Space Cowboys and um, Gudrun. So they just asked me if I wanted to sing on one of their albums. And I was like, sure. So everybody was kind of singing on everybody's albums back then. <laughs> that's, that's, that's so cool. It makes that collective thing. It's easier to be immersed in something and want to support it if you're a part of it. Like Yeah. And that, yeah. that's that's amazing um, that the scene I mean, was Berlin like that. Berlin had a collective that collective feeling a lot. I think it still came from that feeling of being an island, you know, within a wall. Right. And people were used to to thinking that way. Uh, it took a long time. I think it was actually only end of the '90s that people started thinking 
in like a kind of competitive way that's maybe more like other places um, because that's when it started becoming more expensive and, you know, jobs were hard to get. But before that, when it wasn't that expensive, people weren't competitive and everybody was like, hey, I've got this project you want to sing or, you know, and everybody would. Kind of reminds me of Detroit, actually, because um, I have a couple of friends in Detroit and they say a similar thing. They say that everybody in Detroit has like five bands and they all sing in each other's bands and stuff. It, for the little that I've experienced playing in Detroit, it seems to be seems to be true. <laughs> like, um, when was the last time you were there? When was the last time you guys it, played there? In Detroit? Yeah. Um, I think it was about four or five years ago. I can't remember. I think it's four or five years ago. Was it art gallery? No, it was a, a really nice club called Tresonnerferus. Okay, it's yeah, a really long name. <laughs> that is that's not. Oh man, I was like, uh, there's this uh, art gallery venue there called uh, Art of Armageddon Beach Party, which uh, oh. seems up the, the 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 vibe of what we've been talking with. And those uh-huh. guys have been there for a minute. Um, I was going to be like, that would be a crazy world connection right now. Um, <laughs> uh, so, kinda, so it's interesting that, I don't know, what was like with, with, like, with Kid Powers and uh, uh, Kid Congo Powers and Nick Cave? Because Nick Cave kind of seemed to be kind of painting the scene, scene in a way, like this dark kind of like deep thought existentialist. Um, what was it? Did you get to work one-on-one or were you just kind of laying down tracks? Did you get a sense of the character? Of Nick Cave? No, he wasn't in Berlin back then. He okay. had already moved away. So um, he, I think, I don't even know if he, did he sing on that album, Spring? Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, no, he must have recorded it in, in, I think he was in London back then. Oh, okay. So, okay. but I mean, I, you know, I knew him because I used to live together with the keyboarder of Nick Cave, Roland Wolf, who I was actually um, engaged to also for a short time before he died. So, um, you know, the bad seeds also have a lot. They, they used to, you know, go in and out of our factory loft where I used to live. So, um, but he moved, he basically moved to London quite shortly after I had moved to Berlin. So I only saw him when he did shows. And Kid Congo, I toured with years later. Um, we did this tour with Kid and with Julie Cruz, which was kind of a crazy tour. Yeah. <laughs> and- of Finland, it was it was funny. Yeah, he's great. I love Kid. He yeah no, and he's still active, and he's coming up with all these cool records, and he's such a charismatic character. Like totally, so cool. He just he just put something out too that uh yeah um with um what's the name of his group uh but it's super think, uh, it's super like Mon- a well oh yeah 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 Dodge Bandy's super dancey. It's like an EP yeah. that's got a pocket. Um, yeah. <laughs> He's amazing. I love him. He was one of the first people I met actually in um, Berlin because he was Roland, um, who was the keyboarder of Nick Cave, best friend. So he would always come to our factory loft and hang out on the, there was this big red sofa and we just sit on that big red sofa. It was this huge loft, huge. I mean, it was, it was really huge. It had like 10 rooms and it was kind of, I don't know, it was just huge. And it only cost like Fifteen dollars a month, and we were five people, and we had all the space. So there was like nothing except fifteen guitars and a refrigerator and a couple of mattresses and stuff. So we used to hang out on the red sofa with Kid. <laughs> nothing but but space and time to be creative. That's awesome. Yeah. 
uh, what was it like? Did you ever get the show like um, Friends from the States? Your the Berlin scene when you uh, Berlin scene when you were in it. Like, did you ever get to blow your friends' minds by being like, "Oh yeah, this is normal. This is normal life." In a week of partying goes, and then like, what happened? Did you get to share <laughs> that experience? Yeah, of course. Yeah. What was <laughs> yes. that? Was what was the reaction? Like, were people just like, "What? What did I just endure?" Like. <laughs> Well, a couple of them actually moved to Berlin immediately, just like I did back then. They were just like, oh, my God, um, I think I'm going to stay. This is it. <laughs> this is it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Did you ever yeah. meet a, a Adele Berté? No. Okay. Um, she was <laughs> a, a, a a singer in the uh, No Wave scene from New York who moved to Berlin momentarily. I was just okay. around the same time, it sounds like. Um, uh-huh. But uh, kind of shifting gears. So, like, uh, this, your music, like, slowly seems like it built up and more atmospheric stuff came in. And, like, this space was created. And, like, when did you meet Alexander? Because you guys' uh, album list is fairly dense. And, like, it that space is there in all these records as well. Yeah. Um, well, we met pretty early on, too. I mean, basically, when I moved to Berlin again because of Roland, who was his best friend. Um, so Neubauten were in the factory loft all the time. And um, we were good friends, but, you know, he always had girlfriends and I always had boyfriends. And and then um, but we always kind of like we started collaborating um, around 95 where I was where he did a piece of theater and I was doing like the set design or whatever. And, um, and then in like at the end of the 90s, the beginning of 2000, 2001 was when we seriously started collaborating. I had been invited to do like this installation, this art installation in a museum. And um, I wanted to have live music and he was doing a lot of experimental live music back then. So I asked him to, if he felt like doing something together with me. And so we did together and it was so much fun that we just kind of, took it from there and we were doing a lot of for the first six or seven years we did a lot of like audio visual stuff where um we would do music together but i would also do huge stage sets and do readings and stuff like that so it was pretty interdisciplinary um and it was a lot of fun it was kind of like an, an experimentation of like how can we work together because you know i kind of came from my side of the music spectrum and he came from his and then we kind of just you know worked on it worked on it until we kind of suddenly found a sound that was really good and we've kind of been concentrating on that ever since so is that um sorry i didn't mean to cut you yeah so basically it's kind of like the the album perseverancia yeah um that was where we felt ah that's the sound we've been looking for but we did a couple of things albums and stuff before that which which we're still kind of searching for that specific sound. Gotcha. Cause like, it seems like, a um, at least with like a record, like the hitman's heel, it's a much, uh-huh. um, it's a, it, it's electronic, but it's also, it's got a lot of like acoustic instruments in it. Was that kind of the influence was, a uh, for, uh, with Alexander was like bringing in like, um, some of these more like folk instruments into songwriting and like that was it seemed like a concept record itself so that might be a, a not the greatest example but 
Well, it, it was kind of because we um, he really likes Americana like a lot. And um, he used to have a band called Yiva Mountain Boys, where he would do a lot of cover versions of of songs, which is actually really, really good. And um, he's a great singer. And then um, so we were like, well, you know, maybe we should try doing an album kind of in that direction. And we did it and it was a lot of fun. But for me, I'm for me, it was too structured. So I was like, you know, I really um, I think that I need to be less structured because it's not I don't really want to do ballads. And he doesn't come from I mean, you know, Neubauten are not ballady at all. Right, so obviously right. he's not from that um, direction either. So um, it was kind of, yeah, it was kind of like a concept album, but it wasn't perfect for us. So we continued working on it. And actually we recorded um, Perseverancia at Joshua Tree. And speaking of how, you know, places influence you, just seeing that it was a great studio and um, it had this huge glass wall. And while we were kind of like jamming, we just saw the desert in front of us all the time. Mm. And that really kind of automatically gave us that space. And we just, it just opened all the doors. It was pretty amazing. That makes sense. It's, it's, it, it's interesting that um, the first record I heard of yours was actually Hitman's Heel. And like everything I've listened to post was like, where did that one come from? Because like it's, <laughs> it's so like, it's it's like you're it's so structured and like that's interesting that you were kind of using the ballot form. I didn't think of yeah. it like that. That it makes a, a lot of times a, a, when you boil stuff down and you give yourself a, parameters in a way. It like it makes you it forces you to be creative within those parameter parameters and uh, exactly like uh, like if you look at the white stripes, there's two instruments and they get a lot of to completely different music with that and like yeah. with that and it was so interesting. So I'm like, wow, these guys really gotta kind of thing it's like um and then the and then the listen when howard gave me the link for the the new record i'm like wait what and like it, it's so expansive and you have a couple meditation records and like then i saw you and alexander have like your whole there's a whole other side of like records you've put out together like the uh -huh. immense amount of creative output that you guys have done living the nomadic lifestyle is absurd in a good way like <laughs> to be able to put out that much and be focused to do that much when you're trying to get from place to place is it makes sense why you're always tired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's funny because it kind of taught us, you know, there's, I mean, I don't know, you probably know the same thing. It's like, you know, there's stuff that you like that you think is really, really great. But when you try to do that, it's not you. And that was kind of, Right. what happened in Hitman's Heel. We were like trying to find something where, because I mean, you know, I have a classic education in music. I, I learned classic violin. I learned classic piano. I play the hurdy-gurdy. I play like these really weird old instruments. Right. And Alex plays drums, bass, and guitar. And he comes from an experimental electronic band. And then I have that weird electronic background with Gudrun. So we're like, how on earth are we going to bring these things together? And... Um, we, we like didn't know and we're just trying and trying. And then, then we're kind of like, well, you know, why don't we try doing ballads because we really like uh -huh. Americana and Alex loves, you know, playing the banjo and he loves that, that kind of, he loves blues. I love blues, uh, whatever. And um, we did it, but then we noticed that's just not us. We really love listening to it and we love other bands that do it, but 
it's not us. We have to find our own sound that kind of combines our weird backgrounds together. And that, and then it just magically, really magically happened in the desert. It was so weird because we went there because it's like the studio of a friend of ours there. And, um, and we just brought our instruments and we're like, okay, look, we're just not going to have a concept at all. We're just going to jam. We're just going to, you know, improvise. And we did that for a week. And all of a sudden this music was somehow being born that we didn't even know how to describe. We still don't know how to describe it. And it kind of became our sound. A couple questions with that. Like, um, when working with Gutrin, when like you came in with like this classical, like kind of a, at least traditional, um, imagine with playing piano and violin, you get a kind of a basic concept of harmony and like how right. a traditional theory and like, it, it, I know it's different compared to like the rock band world where it's like improvise using a you know, B flat pentatonic roll, but like uh, with the <laughs> classical attempt, it's a little, it's a little more structured and like to, and with like, um, I know with no wave and from what I've picked up on, like, um, diving into understanding the techno scene, like it was almost kind of the opposite. Like you went in with not knowing anything like, uh, trad- like traditional theory wise and you're just creating was there like a kind of a was that like a hindering knowing some traditional theory or did totally. it make it easier to um, to dive in? <laughs> um, it's totally a problem. I mean, I've heard that from almost every person that, you know, was trained classically and that wants to like do music that's not classic. It's really, really difficult. I mean, I, I've kind of battled with that for, from until, I don't know, almost the end of the 90s, because whatever you do, I mean, I played a lot of like keyboards for, for Space Cowboys and for Gutrun too, and you always end up playing Bach or something, you know, it's terrible, because I had really strict classical teachers too, and they would like, you know, hit me with a violin bow if I wasn't on, you know, wasn't playing the way I should, and like super strict teachers, and, and they really like, I don't know, they mind... I don't know, somehow they do something with your brain. In any case, it's really, really difficult to get that out of your system to just be able to improvise. And um, that that actually um, it was another reason why with Hitman's Heel we were so structured because I was still I was playing keyboard on that one. Mm. And somehow, you know, it's just, I, I don't know, it's really... And then again, for some really weird reason in the desert... All of a sudden, I could get away from that. And I mean, still, when you hear our music, you can hear the classical influence. But um, that's the great thing. Like, we're somehow, because we're such opposites, Alex can break that with his experimental stuff. And then I'm really into sounds. Like, I love weird sounds. Like, really, I kind of, that's my electronic side. I love odd sounds. So then when he becomes too perfect, because he's a really good bass player and he's a really good drummer too, when he becomes too perfect, I kind of break that with weird sounds. So we kind of do each other the, um, you know, the favor of kind of breaking down whatever the other person is doing that's too structured or too um, perfect, like, you know, too clean or whatever. Yeah. You can depend on each other for taking it out there. Like that, this groove's good. Check this out. Like, right. That's 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 working in the 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 spaces that are created in between the groove. Like and the exactly. what can lay on there because like that's a to have like a very structured thing, 
or or even if you looked at it like in in sense of a melody and harmony, like if you're playing a song where there's a lot of chords, the melody is going to be fairly simple. Or if there's a lot of melody, the chords are going to be pretty simple. In a way, yeah. it's like an interesting way to play with that, but with more grandeur sounds and like. So that's yeah. Wow, like that that definitely had to be like a mind trip to get out of that rigid like I can see where like when you first start playing something as taxing as like a violin, like the posture and the approach is very specific to get a desired sound, right? Yeah. Like the technique is crucial for that instrument and you have to have that dedicated being hit with the, maybe not being hit with that's pretty rough i don't know that doesn't i would i'm surprised music stuck with you with that that sounds traumatic um but it was i didn't actually want to play violin again and alex forced me i had i, I had kind of said i'm on, i'm never going to play violin i hated it right because it was so traumatic and i was only playing keyboards and singing with Space Cowboys and with Gutrun, I was like not. I mean, I played with Malaria, Gutrun's band, once. I went on tour with her in the States, and I played at Limelight with violin, and I just, I hated it. And so then Alex started pestering me. It was like, you have to play violin. And he was like pestering and pestering me for years. And then at one point, um, I was doing it. We were doing a project with Mick Harvey from The Bad Seeds and yeah. with, um, for theater, and, and then... Somebody said, oh, we could really use a violin here. And then Alex looked at me and I was like, okay. <laughs> was, it, was it easy to pick back up? Not really. It took me a little bit. But um, for some odd reason, all of a sudden, um, I started using it more like a sound instrument than mm. the classic way of playing okay. violin. And I tried doing that with all my instruments, like not, not playing them the way you're supposed to play. And that helped me getting away from that structured thing. You know, I like, I like playing violin more. I mean, I do melodies and stuff like that, but I kind of see it more of a sound instrument now. I don't know how to describe it. That, yeah. that helped me to get away from my hatred. <laughs> no, it makes sense. It, it's like you, that sound, that, that space that you found um, when you started working with uh, Guterin, like it just kind of, you immersed it in every other way that you could. Um, yeah. Do you like, uh, are you, do you practice like mindfulness stuff? Are you, do you meditate? Do you find like uh, comfort within that space? Like uh, even when it's not there? Yeah. I mean, we started meditating when we became nomads because we noticed that um, to be able to survive a lifestyle that's that grueling, um, and especially being together 24 hours a day, right. you have to somehow, yeah. you know, um, enlarge in the space within, because otherwise you just end up fighting all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, when you're stressed out all the time and you're moving all the time, and almost in a way, I guess that makes sense that in that way you're not moving. Because everything else is constantly moving. Exactly. And kind of like focusing on yourself, on your inside, basically, instead of focusing on the outside all the time, gives you a certain kind of calm in the situation of traveling all the time. So, you know, wearing headphones and just not hearing anything and meditating it was something that we, we do. I mean, I still do it all the time because it really... Um, in the pandemic too, it's helped me a lot. It just makes it calmer. Right. It kind of, that's the sense I, uh, from the, on, um, 
Element of Love, there's that track, Beautiful Creatures. Yeah. And I, just the the narrative of the poem really kind of hits at this, this uh, uh, it sounds like it's coming from an individual who's very mindful. Um, Thank you. <laughs> um, so is there like this kind of, uh, I guess kind of diving into that, like um, it seems like the nomadic uh, uh, um, lifestyle is kind of like idealized in the sense of like leaving job security to expand and find yourself. Um, do you like ever run into like, I guess, uh, like it seems like a, a, a weird technology buffer in there. Like there's it, um, seeing people like kind of encapsulated with their devices and stuff and like being someone who's always been like constantly moving in that way and kind of seeing someone be constantly uh, or not constantly, but seeing, seeing individuals be stopped by this glowing box in their hand is kind of maybe I'm, maybe I'm this I'm I'm uh, I'm taking this narrative out of it so I won't say this is you saying that unless it is um, <laughs> but that's kind of the takeaway I got is like there's like this 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 the, these like social structures and one of them is now in everyone's hand and pocket um, that kind of stops you from further expanding into how you said the superheroes you can be right um well, let's put it this way. I think I'm, <laughs> Sorry. Um, basically, I'm like I love um, superheroes, movies, and and just fantasy stuff like that. I'm totally into that. Um, and it's because I mainly because I always somehow when I'm watching it, I'm thinking like you know, I always have the feeling this could be us. And they say you know people only use a part of their brain and, right. and all of those things and. Um, I've experienced some pretty miraculous things and I always have the feeling that we're not really, you know, using all of our potential and that we get distracted by so many things um, that somehow are probably meant to distract us because if we weren't distracted to such an extent, we might actually, you know, do totally different things than we're doing. And, um, like in a really broad sense, like if, yeah. if you think of it, you know, if you, if like when I notice that I'm on my phone too much, I put it away and, um, I try to do different things. It's like, it's, it's a tool. It's a really, it's a really great tool to be able to connect with people. And it's a really great tool to, to do all kinds of technical things with, but it actually also keeps you from living. It distracts you from things that are maybe a lot more important. And, um, and I, I, I somehow I constantly have the feeling that we're being distracted from the things that are really important. <laughs> I feel like the industry and um, all these things that we're told that we should do, like, you know, earn a lot of money, have all these things and whatever, that they're actually distractions from things that could be even greater, but, you know, that we don't see because we're constantly being distracted by the, I don't know, by the... Um, capitalistic maybe yeah. world <laughs> the ideal concept of what success is or what um, exactly. a successful musician looks like or artist exactly and you know when i was when when i moved to berlin at the beginning it was nobody had any money and um you didn't really have to work because everything was so cheap i mean you know 15 bucks for an apartment a huge factory loft you could earn like you just have to go to a cafe work once a week and you'd have enough money to pay your rent and 
food. And it kind of like, that's why Berlin got its reputation of being such an incredibly creative place because everybody was just, you know, doing art, doing music, writing philosophy, reading philosophy. And there was such an incredible wealth of ideas and it was so um, opulent. And the more people have to race after, you know, being able to earn money and and all that and um, have to just to survive and only have that little box to look at in between. It's like everything's been narrowed down Mm. to some things that aren't actually even that important if you come down to, you know, think about it. Right. So, I mean, one of the really incredible things about the nomadic life was that we gave up our house and we basically sold everything we had. And we had a lot because Alex and me, we liked collecting stuff. And so we had like something like 600 boxes or something. It was completely insane. And, you know, we ended up with like a tiny storage room where we just kept a couple of instruments and art stuff. And the crazy thing was that, you know, then we started traveling and we didn't miss any of it. And I was like, wow, we didn't expect that. We're like, we're probably going to miss everything. We didn't miss anything. And I was like, okay, if you don't miss these things, then why are they so important? (laughs) That's a good point. Like, I guess that's that's that, that's fascinating because like when you're when you're in one spot and you kind of design your environment, right? If that well, if that couch wasn't there, I'd miss sitting on it. You know what I mean? Like, what would I sit on? Like, it's but when you're constantly moving and always kind of in flux and in the moment of where you're at, you're not really thinking about that couch because you. Exactly. you <laughs> <laughs> well, so like like uh, cuz I was one, when when I read that I was like did they did they keep a car? Did they is that, that how they got around? Like how do you take all these instruments with you? But if you had like a storage facility that makes that answers a lot of questions for like at least yeah. some of the bigger pieces that you've made and like yeah some the drum set <laughs> like Exactly. <laughs> that's it's yeah. it's incredible how like when something so pure blossoms, so much kind of comes around it to, to replicate it, and it almost kind of blocks the sunlight from it. And yeah. um, I think that's really, really inspiring that you guys chose to completely rearrange how you think of living, to to preserve that purity, and like, and go on a crazy adventure of anything. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know how you feel, but I feel so manipulated nowadays, like, you know, by these by these insane rents and the way things are. And one is told this is the way the music industry is and this is the way that is and this is the way that is. And I've never liked people telling me that, you know, I've always liked inventing my own world. And I've always I've always thought that, you know, it's nice to be able to afford the things that you want. But um, what's a lot more important to me is the content. That's why I love language so much, you know, because I think that language can give you so much. And, um, and I don't, I just don't like having to spend so much money on things where I'm like, I don't, I don't actually think that it's, 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 um, I don't know, like, you know, I work for a month and I can barely pay my apartment. That just doesn't make sense. That shouldn't be that way. And it, it just came to a point where we were like, we can't take it. We were actually, it happened that we were in Canada. We toured, we toured for like um, a month in Canada and we got home and all the money we had earned 
we had to pay for our house. And um, we were like, this is ridiculous. This just doesn't make sense. We're not, this isn't life. We want to, we want to see if there's something else out there where there's like, where it's more humane. And so then we said, okay, let's just, you know, try it. It's the apartment you weren't at. (laughs) So it's, it's uh, (laughs) just paying it to have it there. Yeah, exactly. It was always empty. That's like, got, it doesn't make sense. It's, and it's got to be like, it's a, gotta be like a, 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 a mind, just even like dealing with different currencies and stuff and trying to put it all towards something that's somewhere else. And yeah. uh, and it that I think that's what leads to the acceptance of doing, um, the, taking the mundane job that you know is always going to be there. Because yeah. to do, to, to tour, it's such a, it's it's such a commitment to maybe make nothing, and when you're doing it, like it, it I, money is almost as long as you can get to the next gig. It's like the people and places are like the real pay from it. You know, what I mean, like last night was all right. The Tuesday night was sweet in in Vancouver or whatever. Like you know, what I mean, like, and it's it's a different type of reward every night until I guess you're thinking about the end result of like well. How do we get back home or how do we, well, I guess we didn't make that much. Like, do we keep going? And like, it's almost it, uh, that discomfort of not knowing if you can cover stuff at home. Like, yeah. Leads to and that. also, I mean, you know, um, I think one really interesting thing about the pandemic is, is that people have realized how important culture is, you know, definitely. I mean, you know, I was just reading this article today about how, you know, I don't know what it's like in the States at the moment, but here in Europe, all the magazines are becoming really thin because there's nothing to write about. Right, and right. Newspapers become really boring because they're just like, there's only to a certain extent that you can write about, you know, economy or whatever. And you can really tell that if culture disappears, um, life becomes miserable. And I think that's actually really interesting because I hope that it's going to, make people, you know, appreciate more the work of artists and musicians and and everybody that's dealing that whole area and are willing to, you know, accept that they should actually be getting a little better pay for that than they are. You know, that's like that, that whole thing that, you know, I've got my day job, but I'm an artist and I do my art at night so I can survive and stuff like that. It shouldn't be like that. Definitely. Art, be, you know, being a musician, being an artist, being a what, DJ, journalist, whatever, um, it should all have, you know, one should be able to earn enough money to survive off of it and it being taken seriously. Well, is it, I, I, no, I, I agree. And I, I, it's interesting, like, with um, how streaming and everything's been and how, like, without culture, it, I agree, everything's bleak. It's just kind of like there's no, like a... The, the magazines that tell you what's going on around town, we have one called The Scene Magazine. It's, they, they even stopped doing it. They put a halt to it because there's nothing going on. Yeah. And like, yeah, it's so sad, you know. So it's like teaching the people that it's, it's not something they should take for granted, I guess. Definitely. And I, I think the majority of people realize it. And like, like, you know what? I like seeing films in the theater. Like exactly. I like the 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 popcorn, or, yeah, or, or just exactly. The chance, like, 
And I think you can speak on this because it seems like everything you've dove into has been kind of per chance and per uh, happening, being kind of in the the right place at the right time. But when you take away that uncertainty, that, that chance of opportunity, and everything becomes very predictable and very mundane, like that there's there's a spark of life that isn't there and i think at least i hope the the <laughs> that this kind of shut in and this kind of shutdown has been hopefully uplifting and energizing the people so they can get the sleep they need and want to immerse themselves in in that like going to a show <laughs> and not knowing who you're going to meet is part of that that culture you dive into and when that doesn't exist <laughs> it's exactly <laughs> You can watch the stream and like maybe chat with somebody, which is a cool, um, a cool second. You know what I mean? It's a way to interact when you can't. Have you guys dove into uh, any streaming, any of that? Um... um, we did a little bit at the beginning last March, April, May, and a couple of festivals asked us to do stuff too, streaming. But then um, you could tell, like, after about half a year that people were, like, at the beginning, lots of people were watching it. And then right. you could tell they were being, like, overwhelmed by all the things they could watch. And, and I think everybody was getting kind of tired of staring at their computer, too. So we thought, uh, we'll just take, we'll take a break from it. Makes sense. Yeah, I don't know. I've been helping out local venues and streaming for them here in Cleveland and, like, um even doing streams, I'm like, I want to, I want to see a show. Like, I get to, yeah. I get to see it, but I gotta watch the screen and switch all the cameras, and it's, it's cool, but not as cool. And like, so you have bands playing, and basically, and then you stream them in the club. Right, right. So like, um, have you guys ever played in Cleveland? No. Okay. Well, Sadly, no. when you come to Cleveland, I, I'll yeah. get you. We'll get you a spot. Um, cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> But uh, there's this venue called the Beachland Ballroom and this venue called the Grog Shop. And like uh, it's kind of like a smaller house of blues, like if you uh-huh. gauge like the size of it. And they would bring in bands and they would have them play on the stage and we would stream them from that stage. Oh, cool. So there'd be like a team and like uh, at least you're playing for like uh, the people in the room. And right. Like, uh, and that would go out. And they, there was a Cleveland had a really, really cool support system and still does. Where like um, uh, there is these uh the, the um, virtual concert series where you would donate five dollars again to a Zoom stream and that would get split up oh, between wow. the acts, and uh, right when the shutdown happened, that took off, and wow, uh, yeah, it was really really cool and really inspiring, um, because everyone was just helping everyone out and like it wasn't like this yeah. kind of alienation like, and there was all these pools to do like benefits and such like that, um, so there's there was like this uh, supportive hub and that made streaming cool. But at the same time, it's, it's, it's still alienating and weird and not quite the same. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've had a, basically a lockdown here now since last March where we, we can't even do that. We can't even go into a club and play together as a band. Wow. Yeah. That's gotta be a huge, especially for you, for you two, that's gotta be a huge, like uh, cabin fever. <laughs> Like, yeah. <laughs> well, especially because we don't really have an apartment here. We just have like an office where we sleep, and um, it's it's like we have you know studios now and an office, which are close to each other, which is good because we can walk. But we don't have an apartment, so it's been kind of like thank God we have the studios. Otherwise, we'd probably like you know gone crazy. Right. 
at least something to focus on. Did you um um did you finish that? F- you're working on a silent film about your guys' journey at Crossroads. Oh yeah, that's that's um I did that a long time ago. That's like okay. uh, five four years ago. Yeah. Gotcha. I saw <laughs> on Vimeo the um the trailer for it. Um, right. And like so has fi- like to kind of segue for one more like topic um at least with like film. Um, have you dove into any like film projects? Cause that's a really thing you can focus on when you're stuck in one spot. <laughs> Editing film <laughs> takes forever or videos at least. Well, I've been doing the videos for my new album. I'm just finishing the third one. And, um, I've also been working on a video for the, our next upcoming Haka de Pichotto album, which is probably going to come out in May or something. Um, cool. so I've been doing that pretty much, but, um, Basically, I've been doing more. I mean, after I finished my solo album and released it, we immediately went into the studio and started recording our next Hacker de Pichotto album. So we just finished recording that. So I've been doing a lot of music. That's awesome. I mean, it seems a little more feasible than film stuff, like because you gotta get scenes from other places. But what you're doing with the the videos for your new album, like the the really cool like animated uh, works of your art. Uh-huh. Uh, those are really rad. Like <laughs> that has to be a fairly tedious uh, um, stop motion, or I don't even know how how you construct something like that. But it's really fitting for, uh, especially the one for beautiful creatures. Um, oh, thanks. Yeah, I have a I have a friend who's um, animation artist, and um, he's amazing. So we work together on that. Um, otherwise, if I would do it alone, I'd probably take like a hundred years. Um, and so what I do is I like, you know, I do all the drawings and then I kind of make, um, very simple kind of variations of them. And then he works on them and he turns into, he does like animation. So, um, it's a lot of work cause I have to do a lot of drawings for that, right. but still it's like, it's, it's really fun to do it with him. Cause every time I, he sends me, you know, my drawings, he sends them back to me and they're moving. It's like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's alive. Alive. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome it's really fun what was it well danielle thank you so much for taking time out of your day to chat with me i really i really appreciate your time i've uh i've really enjoyed diving into your career and trying to understand like the berlin techno scene and like all these art movements and um as a you as an artist is so fascinating like how you found this space in in it's always with like the always with you and you're moving through all these things and like I found, I've chanced upon all these like techno docs and even just interviews and like I keep your name would keep popping up. I'm like, whoa! I'm not <laughs> I'm going down the right angle here or right lane of um, um, uh, studying. I don't know, but um, <laughs> so it's been very fascinating, and enjoyable to dive into your career, and I appreciate your time. So thank oh, you so thank much for chatting so with me. Yeah, it's been it's been really fun. Thank you so much. <laughs>